Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. Mind your business with the breakfast huddle only on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's The Breakfast Huddle. Elliot Danka, Manati Jagdish and Ryan Huang with you. It's time now for Mind Your Business. Now, I'm sure that amid the current crisis, many of us have noticed that the stories of those who have undergone previous crises, who have weathered previous crises, have gained even more relevance. Our next guest has such a story. He has experienced firsthand the impact of the Asian financial crisis. This was when it hit his family in 1997, and he later resolved that he would never allow the same thing to happen to him or his family again. So he consciously made very different financial choices, always prioritizing capital preservation and growth and generating intergenerational wealth through value creation. Well, he later joined the Singapore Armed Forces and he attained the rank of captain before going into the private sector. And this morning, we want to find out how he's turned his experience from the army into an entrepreneurial skills. What kind of leadership skills has he carried over into the private sector as well? On the line is Kelvin Fu, managing partner of Gunung Capital. Kelvin, good morning. How are you? Hi, good morning, Elliot. Good morning, Barati. So, Captain, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about your company. What can you tell us? Right. So, Gunung Capital is an investment management firm focused on impact and ESG investment. So, we are primarily focused on helping companies to decarbonize, investing in technologies that can help decarbonize their own sectors. And then we are also investing a fair amount in carbon credits, which I'm sure you guys will have heard a lot about. Yeah, for sure. I mean, since we started off by talking about, you know, your Asian financial crisis experience and how that has changed your outlook and approach to life and business, uh, tell us how that connects with your business today. I mean, has that at all shaped your choice of the sort of business you would go into? Yeah, thanks for the question. Well, the Asian financial crisis hit me, you know, really personally. You know, as you mentioned earlier in your comments, our family got hit quite bad when we lost our home. So that has always been at the back of my mind and always, you know, drive me to figure out, well, how can I do things differently and how can I help others, right? To that end, you know, I've also experienced a lot of other things that is related to my current business. That includes experiencing firsthand, you know, the impacts of climate change. Whenever I travel, you know, I see a lot of natural disasters that have happened and how that would impact my own investment decisions. As a result, we started the Gunung Capital to really focus on what really matters to the environment. And we think that being able to help the environment, help social causes, will also translate into really good business decision-making and also be able to generate good investment return. I do apologize if I'm getting the timeline wrong here, but Kelvin, I understand you also spend some time in China. You uh, you studied in Futan University in China. You also spent a year on an overseas program in Shanghai. How did those experiences in China impact the nature of your business and, and you even wanting to start a business? Yes, my experience in China really was with a private equity firm when I was serving as the assistant okay. to the CEO. Now that gave me uh, you know, a really good experience following my CEO who was running a fairly sizable fund then and understanding you know, what it takes to do high-level finance as well as deal-making. So when I was in China, that was in 2006 to 2007, where it was a huge boom. So everything was very new to me, and the deals being done were extremely large. So 
at a young age, I was really fortunate to be able to experience that. Also, you know, understanding the way the Chinese businessmen look at things really helped me to shape my own investment experience as business acumen. Mm, I understand that after that experience, you came back to accept a scholarship from the SAF and you held various ranks, with captain, of course, being the highest before you went into the private sector. How did that experience in the military shape what you're doing today? Yeah, I think the military experience was something extremely dear and formative to my leadership skills building, as well as the importance of understanding discipline, resilience, and uh, being able to lead a team. So I was a platoon commander, as many of uh, our fellow SAF men would have gone through. And then we uh, went to a planning stage, and then ultimately was a company commander. So at one time, I probably the, the team that I managed was probably around 100 people. And of course, the military experience is very quite, you know, quite different from what I'm currently practicing. But I think there are a few core tenets, which really includes how do I be able to inspire you know, our soldiers to work towards a common purpose and also how to teach, you know, uh, teamwork, which I think has translated really well, because in our current firm, you know, we have about uh, a sizable number of about 80 professionals. Right. So we, we really are. Uh, able to help delegate tasks, be able to assign them to the, to the right things to do and inspire them to do things. Mm. I'm always grateful personally for my experience in the FA, SAF as well. I mean, when I was planning my wedding last year with my wife, she looked at me and right. was like, why, why are you not phasing that? This is an ops. We've got to get the ops done, okay? <laughs> good, good approach. But, but Kelvin, there is, there is this thing that hangs over a lot of regular servicemen when they want to leave and go into the world, especially they want to start their own business. There's always this question of, am I still relevant? There is this fear as well. I think you know what I'm talking about how how did yep. you overcome that challenge right that's that's a great question because i have many friends who experience the same thing as well but you know because of my early experience uh, going to china and experiencing finance so i took a really concerted decision you know you know i took a part-time degree a master's degree in finance while i was still serving mm. you know so i would go to school on weekends you know just to brush up my skills and then when I decided to leave the SAF, you know, I was really clear that in order to pivot myself, I would have to do something different. And, and the route I took was to pursue an MBA. So I've always wanted to do an MBA in the U.S. So I applied to various schools and, and got a scholarship into the Johns Hopkins Carey Business School. So that allowed, that was the first start of my real pivot. And then when I was in the U.S., you know, I, you know, yes, it was a full-time two-year program, but I guess the bulk of my time, because I had uh, already studied finance, you know, as a master's degree, some of the causes were, you know, I would say was, I didn't have to spend too much time on some of the finance courses, because yeah. I already had a head start. So yeah. I spent a lot of time networking and thinking about what I really wanted to do during my time. So I fully maximized that by not just starting, was very active as a, you know, student leader. I was going out to network, attending lots of conferences, and eventually decided to start my own real estate company in the U.S. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'd, like, I'd just like to know one thing. Uh, alluding to your military experience earlier, you did mention that you know it has shaped you positively in what you do today. However, I'm sure you've heard the criticism that you know military experience shouldn't and cannot be applied wholesale to civilian contexts such as public service, the governance of a nation, or even business. What do you have to say to that? How do you try to take a more nuanced approach so that it really all works out? Right. I think, yes, you know, I think I would really push back hard on that because there are many successful business 
who are former military leaders that have made that successful transition. Of course, not everyone has been able to do that successfully with varying degrees. But I think what, what matters really is what you talked about, about relevance, right? So I was really clear on where my direction was to be post-military. But I think the military experience really taught me systematic planning. Just as you know, Elliot was mentioning about how to plan his own wedding, I think that systematic planning, probably due to my vocation, you know, which was an army intelligence officer where I had to do a lot of reconnaissance, planning in advance, I think that taught me the skill. How do you systematically plan ops, right? How do you figure out what, what the information needs? And I used that same skill in my business where I had to do a lot of due diligence on companies before we make any decisions. So, you know, I go through a very systematic and thorough checklist, making sure nothing is left out. And, and I think more importantly, the soft skill sides, which is really the management and the leadership skills, I think that was the most impact on me uh, at a young age, you know, being able to lead people. And I saw that translated into when I did my MBA, you know, I saw a lot of my peers were much younger than me. They didn't really have that leadership experience that the SAF had taught me. So I'm very grateful for my experience in the SF. Yeah. Kevin, I'll be the bad guy. Don't worry. Those who never <laughs> try being in the army, you go try, then you tell me whether it makes a difference to your leadership <laughs> and business skills. Yeah. I'll say no problem. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Gunang Capital focuses on ESG. I, I know you mentioned a little bit about that earlier on. Financial markets, they play such a huge role. And you know, with everything that you've seen, could you give us your perspective on where do we go from here? How, how can we transform this area to, to create a more sustainable world in that sense? I think that is an extremely important question because now increasingly in the finance where you see a lot of institutional investors playing a lot of emphasis on ESG. Now, that's something not new. In fact, private equity has always considered ESG factors. It's just that it's now been taken a more prevalence, especially when we go out and, and talk about it. Right. On that front, I think our fund actually focuses on you know, uh, two, two broad areas, which is really climate action. Right? How do we deploy capital in a way that incentivizes our companies to really pay special attention to decarbonizing their platform, as well as taking concrete actions to you know, create more sustainable communities? How does that translate into meeting the climate goals that we have to do? So I think for us, the primary thing that we look for is we have to factor in the cost of carbon, carbon emissions in our analysis of any company that we invest in. And if you look recently, actually, Tomasic had the same theme, right? They are actually put a price on carbon. Mm. And in their own evaluation, I think going forward, institutional investors, well, forward-looking institutional investors will have to do the same. Because we, if you don't factor carbon into your portfolio, what you may be left with, you know, after a few years, will be a stranded asset, something that you cannot sell, which is what a lot of coal companies are facing. I guess the monetization of all this has had some positive effect. Of course, it has had great positive effect in the sense that it has moved investments into the green economy, which is exactly what we need right now. But what about, you know, being authentically interested and behind the cause? Because some uh, critics have said that, you know, once the fad or the trends fizzle out, people might lose interest. It may not be sustainable. So there needs to be a lot more education. There needs to be a lot more pull to get people to be truly and authentically interested in the cause. What's your perspective on this? 
Well, yeah, I think a carrot and stick approach uh, will fit right in line with this. And, and the stick I'm really referring to is really the carbon tax. Now, in Singapore, even you, you, you know, Singapore has really implemented a carbon tax. In fact, it was the first in Southeast Asia to implement it in 2019 of about five Sing dollars per ton of CO2. Now, that means that every business that emits one ton of carbon will be taxed. Right, so that's the stick portion. I think the carrot portion here is really well. I I think institutional investors, pension funds, sovereign wealth funds already have this evaluation criteria of ESG. So if they were investing in a company or fund managers that don't meet this criteria, they would not receive the funds. And so I don't think this is a short-term fad. I think this is going to be something that's going to be sustained because the world has basically woken up. Right, that you know, if we don't do something right now, we will be in trouble. Right, we will not be able to meet climate goals. So, especially you know, we're looking towards COP26 coming right up in a few weeks for some leadership. But even then, there are many, many institutional groups, many companies have come forward and put statements. Now, these statements are not just words that are not backed up by action, because there are a lot of environmentalists and NGOs that keep them in check. And this is a good thing because we need accountability. And, and we want to avoid any companies that are practicing greenwashing, which that's something that we don't want to do. Is there any relationship between the ease of certain companies when it comes to age group or the ease of certain people when it comes to age group? And what I'm trying to say is there is a, a certain demographic that is more inclined to be on board with uh, the goals that you are setting. Funny enough, that happens to be the age group that you would have worked with uh, in the army as well. Right. Probably you're referring to the millennial group. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, I, I still fall. I, I fall under that All category. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right? The, well, the the millennial group. I I don't think it's limited to any particular age group. I yeah. mean, the fund managers that I speak to of uh, of a g- different generation. But at the same time, their perspective would be: How can I? You know, they're very mindful of the next generation as well as their own children. You know, what kind of world are they facing? But I think the message resonates quite well with millennials because. Maybe, you know, I think in general, perhaps we, you know, travel a bit more widely. Yes. You know, we had more access to education now. You know, you know, there's so much knowledge and insights available on climate action. So I think to Baraki's point about education, I think it's really core. And, you know, in fact, if I, if, if I was in a, in a position to be able to mix, make a difference, I think it would be at the education at a young age. What, what, what does helping the climate mean? What does sustainability mean? And I think I really see some signs of that happening in Singapore, which is a great thing to see. Brilliant. How has COVID-19 in particular changed the way people see investing and investments and the way you make your investments? COVID-19 really showed us the resilience of certain companies and our portfolio, right? So uh, within our portfolio, our businesses have been when COVID first hit, of course, everybody was in a state of shock. You know, we were trying to figure out what does this really mean and how long drawn out will it be. But then we started to build in systems and we brought in professionals, consultants to really assist the business. So the first step for us, what we did was to first stabilize the core of the business. And we started reaching out and, and really push how do we become more operationally efficient. Now, these operational efficiencies have continued. And it's great because now the mindset of our managers would be, how do I perform even in times of distress? How do I perform in times of uncertainty? So that amount of institutional knowledge that has been built up within the companies is just amazing. 
right? So I think COVID-19, you know, of course, has affected our business a, a fair bit, but we have recovered very nicely. And now we are now in an even stronger position because some of our competitors who may not have managed the crisis that well, right, we have basically taken some market share. We are now at a different footing and we'll continue to build on this. Certainly a very enriching conversation this morning. We've been speaking with Kelvin Fu, Managing Partner of Gunung Capital. Kelvin, appreciate your time. You take care and stay safe, yeah? Thank you so much. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.